0: Hello and welcome back,
1: or welcome for the first time to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett. I am a child therapist who lives and works in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina, and this is a child therapy podcast coming at it from a child-centered play therapy perspective and I feels like I'm changing what the subject of the podcast is every podcast that I do and these days, I guess I am mixing it up a little bit with the podcast in terms of having times when it'll just be me rambling about whatever it is that I've decided to ramble about that day, or whether it's having somebody else on the show as well. And I think that there will be a mix of those things moving forward. But my intention is still to put out um, one that I do individually that has, say, maybe more of a focused intention every two weeks and interspersing interviews in there. I did one with uh, Hannah Baker last week, which is a lot of fun, and have some more lined up moving forward. And I'm also open to feedback in terms of whether it's nice to have people on the show, if you are someone who has been listening for a little bit and it was refreshing to hear another voice and not just me talking the entire time. Or if you just wish that I would talk more <laughs> and having interviews was not ideal. Whatever whatever that looks like, uh, if you have a strong opinion about it, I'm at least willing to listen to it because I don't know what it's like to listen to the show. I only know what it's like to make the show... And for today's topic, I want to chat about evil. And the reason why I want to chat about evil is because there have been a lot of times in my work with children or even just being around children in general where a child will be playing out something that a parent or adult does not like very much. Maybe there's violence inside of what they're playing, maybe there's revenge inside of what they're playing, intense anger, death, battles, sex. There's a whole variety of things that kids are capable of playing out that make adults uncomfortable. Let's say the predominant reaction that I have either witnessed or talked to adults or parents about when they're witnessing this play that they don't like is to attempt to shut that play down as quick as possible and say we don't play that maybe we don't play with guns that that was a that was a favorite of my mom's like hey mom if you're listening uh maybe it's that uh we don't have death in our play we don't have violence in our play to try to stop it put some kind of a limit on it and make it very clear that that play is not welcome moving forward and I get that response I understand it in terms of when anyone is engaging in something violent or something that doesn't feel right especially in play it's uncomfortable we can have a feeling that we don't want children to believe that a certain kind of behavior or value system is okay that if There's a play with a character who just straight up murders tons of people or tortures tons of people that that can feel uncomfortable and it can feel very real as that child is playing this out. Play is experiential. It's almost like a like a stage production, like a play or a or a skit or something that is acted out and can feel very real while you're acting it out. And I, I, I name that to say that the response of wanting to shut that play down is, is understandable. In terms of a play therapy session, we believe as play therapists that play is a medium through which children come to understand themselves and understand the world and understand things that they've been exposed to and discover what kind of person that they are and what kind of person they want to be in the world. And the idea of evil is no exception to that. It's probably fair at this point to try to delve into what I mean when I say evil. When I say evil, I'm referring to causing someone else pain simply for the sake of causing someone else pain. Using power over someone else to... Subjugate them and torture them and kill them. When I say evil, I mean just the, like, violence without reason. Or uh, revenge that feels over the top. Or characters that are just bad. And I say, like, I don't know if as a person I sign on to the uh, dichotomy of good and evil necessarily. It's definitely something that is passed on to children however not all children but a lot of children in terms of like well you could do this thing and it's good or you could do the things that it that is bad um, media that children consume there are good characters and there are evil characters and there's often not a lot of nuance between those characters except that the evil characters are the ones who are causing harm, want to destroy things and may often especially in children's programming not have a lot of deeper reasons for wanting to do that or even if they do have deeper reasons it's made clear in the show that those reasons are kind of ridiculous and uh, misguided whatever the case may be whether you believe personally in good or evil or not there are certainly things that happen in this world that are difficult to explain in other ways individuals are subjected to all kinds of terrible things in this world whether that's abuse or assault. War is a thing that exists. Genocide is a thing that exists. People are put down and killed and hurt and subjugated every day on this planet. And that happens to human beings at the hands of other human beings. And it sucks. And maybe in an ideal world, it wouldn't have to be that way. Perhaps we can all be better than that. But as it stands right now, It is what it is. It exists. And it exists and children in various forms are exposed to it. At the extreme end of the spectrum, some children are exposed to harm that can only really be described as evil. I guess you could describe it other ways, but that's a word that I could use to describe harm that's done to children that I have a difficult time explaining or empathizing with. So some children have direct Exposure to that. Some other children may have indirect exposure to that, either consumed through media, maybe they've heard about something that happened to someone that they know, maybe they heard about something on the news, whatever that is, but they also have a relationship of some kind to evil. Children are exposed to bad things all the time, and they are also exposed to a good and evil dichotomy and a good and bad dichotomy. And that dichotomy exists also in some forms of morality and some forms of religion. And I could continue to ramble about evil. There's just a basic point in there that children can often be wrestling with these difficult questions about life, can be wrestling with violence, can be wrestling with whether they are a good person or a bad person. Person And from my point of view, inside of all of us is the potential to be actualized, to be self-aware, to be a presence and a person in the world that is connected to deeper reasons for being alive, for whatever form that takes, and for people to live lives that are full of love and intention and self-awareness. That feels like a thing that can happen. Another thing that can happen is that people can live lives that are very disconnected, that are not self-aware, that are diluted, that are full of pain or whatever else that that might be, chemical imbalances, blah, 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 and that those individuals can be capable of all kinds of atrocities, and all of those potentials live inside of all of us, and all of those potentials live inside of every single child, And I say all of that to say that in terms of some play sessions that I've been a part of, there can sometimes be horrible, horrible things that happen inside of a play therapy session. I, as a play therapist, have been subjected to torture in play, eating feces in play, pain of all sorts of kinds, Death, dismemberment, whole crowds of people have been murdered. (laughs) inside. I laugh, but um, it's not funny. I'm laughing almost due to uh, not knowing how else to respond. I can leave a session a lot of times with a child and then bring them back to their parent or whoever and realize that I would never, ever communicate what just happened inside of that play therapy session because what happened in that session was really terrible and would potentially, depending on the, the parent's understanding of what play is, could impact their ability to view their child with acceptance and love if they knew that their child was playing out something that was particularly disgusting or evil-seeming. And what feels important for us as play therapists or maybe as people is this recognition that if evil is a thing in the world that children have a relationship to, if there is the potential inside of all of us to live any kind of life, including a life that causes other people pain, whether that's in- conscious or unconscious, but causing people pain all the same, then it is important for children to develop a relationship to pain, to evil, to causing other people pain, to distress, to violence, to suffering. And the only medium through which children are able to carry that out is through play. it's a sentence I've said before, but, and it ties it back to around the beginning of the podcast, but these themes will come up for children, other places. Children can play out these things, other places, and they can be shut down. And when they're shut down, then they might not play anything anymore. In that vein, they'll have this concept that, okay, I need to keep this under wraps, this part of me under wraps, and that I did something shameful just now. And let's say they were engaging in, some kind of violent play where they were a aggressor in that play. Well, then they could shut that down and they could shut down any feelings of those things coming up, which inhibits their ability to develop a relationship to aggression and to violence and develop a relationship that is their own. And we believe in play therapy that children will evolve into being in harmony with their environment that... A child who is self-aware and is connected to their feelings and respectful of their feelings and capable of having intimate relationships with other people will not have this aggressive, violent part of them that's getting in the way, that that part of them can be played out and they can gain a relationship to that in play therapy. I've never had evil or violent or aggressive play in sessions increase indefinitely over time. It decreases. It is a phase For children to go through. And I can be scared about what happens when children are not given the opportunity to move through that phase. And I guess now is that time in the podcast where I try to connect whatever I'm talking about to a larger thing that may or may not relate. And so I might as well do that now. I haven't actually read any of these articles that I'm about to speak about, so perhaps I shouldn't even be talking about them. But say on news websites and there's discussion of teenage boys, say between the ages of 13 and 22 or something like that, and these individuals being targets for radical recruitment of some kind. Maybe that's white supremacy. Maybe that's ISIS. That it's a time of life when a lot of, uh, it seems like males in particular, are drawn towards these things for whatever reason and that there's some fear and even like articles about like, like how to, how to try to help your teenager not be lured into all this sort of angry, aggressive Not just angry and aggressive, but ultimately, like, racist and xenophobic and, you know, for lack of a better word, evil stuff. And perhaps this is not what happens to a individual who's, let's go with, 17, 18, 19 years old and interacting with this material. But I'm going to attempt an imaginative thought exercise of what would happen with a person like that who is exposed to this material of any kind right it doesn't we're just saying generally angry xenophobic we are targeting anger at a particular group of people because they're the problem and condone being violent with a different group of individuals Um, and that feels like it can cover any number of ideological areas you know the people that hate groups hate varies by the group but there's a There's some commonalities between them. So let's say that you are a 17-year-old boy and when you were younger, you sometimes had angry or violent or impulses in that vein because you're a person and sometimes we all can feel angry and all can feel violent. And when those things came up for you as a person when you were younger, when you were a child, you were told, hey, don't do that. Stop doing that. You shouldn't be playing those things. That's not okay. You're a bad person even for playing those things. Don't do it. And so those things can get then shoved down inside of an individual. And they can stay there. They can stay there until this individual becomes a teenager and enters a different stage of life. And there's now... Hormones flowing through the body in addition to a new developmental stage where they are capable of having the ego strength to like own and stay with their emotions and if someone else is uh, telling them to simmer down, calm down, whatever, they might just not submit and go along with it like say a child of like nine might do who is more say concerned about how do I fit in with this environment and I want to be you know, sort of the industry versus inferiority Erickson stage. And so this individual who's now a teenager might be uh, more connected to that emotion, more, uh, you know, in touch with that, might might feel more angry a lot more of the time, might feel really moody, might have uh, sort of these like violent and other kinds of fantasies come up for them, that have been buried down there that are now rising to the surface uh, in that teenage stage of life where teenagers will often, you know, uh, be destructive and, you know, want to destroy property or all that, write poetry or whatever, you know. It's a very uh, intense stage of life, perhaps because a lot of those repressed emotions from earlier are now given the opportunity to be at the surface. And let's say that one of those teenagers is then goofing around on the Internet and stumbles upon some material that is okay with anger and is okay with violence and somehow ends up validating a piece of their experience. Like there is this dark part of me that's always existed that no one else, that everyone else has always hated. But these people see me and these people have this thing too. And hey, maybe I'm more like them Than I am like my family. I don't think that that's actually true for this individual. I can say that, hey, maybe if this person was able to have the space to work out their aggression and anger and judgment and whatever else of other people in play, that they could develop a relationship to that that ends up with them being, honestly, probably happier, but also more in line with their community and with their own values and who they can be as a person but that didn't happen for this person they ended up feeling validated and affirmed and feeling accepted by a different group of people on the internet who have taken this place inside of them where they might be feeling this anger where they might be feeling this capacity for violence and for hate and have validated it they found a community they found people that might not be what happens Right. That might not be what happens. But in that scenario that I'm talking about, what I'm imagining is that, say, when this teenage boy in this problem area for, you know, hate group recruitment is online reading this stuff, this stuff that might be touching this shadow place inside of them. They're doing that by themselves and they're doing that alone. And if they're not doing it alone, if, if we're saying that they're reading this material, so they're having some kind of relationship to someone, they're doing it with someone who is advocating hate and who is advocating violence, potentially. We all might need to develop our own relationship to evil and to hate and to pain, especially if we've experienced any of those things whether personally or if we've witnessed it or we're just aware that it exists as a thing in the world. And I would much, much rather have an individual child develop their relationship to themselves and all of their potentials inside of a playroom with me where I can accept them, where I can help them move through it, where I can make sure that everything that's in the room is arising out of them, able to hold it all, able to make sure that the play continues to move and shift, able to monitor them outside of sessions, able to watch them come into themselves. And I do believe 100% that that child then is way less likely, say when they've discharged, say when they've had this period of time in therapy where they got to develop this relationship to themselves or in consultation with parents and whoever else, and they're saying, yep, things seem to be a lot better at home. Maybe we've met with the people in their home environment and helped create a culture or structures or whatever there that is supportive of the clients and their emotional experience, that they're able to be witnessed more often in their home where there's more love and affection and mutual support and all that kind of thing. I don't think that that child is as likely or maybe even likely at all, but this could be me being naive to be part of a hate group when they grow up. It takes a lot of trust. When we're watching a child engage in play where they're causing terror to someone or something, or causing pain that seems gratuitous to someone or something, for us to then believe that this is an okay thing for them to be doing. For us to trust that this is a phase that they will move through to something else. For us to not have this fear that they're just going to get sucked down this rabbit hole of hate that they'll never emerge from. That because they're playing it, that means they're going to start living it. And in my experience, that just hasn't been the case. That at my best, I am able to accept whatever play a child comes in with. And I have to lean into a deep trust that even if this seems rough now, even if I'm eating a plate of feces in this session right now, or I'm being tortured or... uh other characters are being tortured or killed or slaughtered or whatever it is, that this is where we are in the play right now. This is a place where they are right now. And it will shift. And it will shift to something different. And then it'll shift again. And it'll shift to something different again. And they're just working through whatever it is that they need to work through to be whole and to be connected to others. They're sorting through all of the baggage and pain in their unconscious and their maybe some internalized value systems, maybe things that have happened to them, maybe their struggles with authority, maybe their struggles with jealousy, maybe something that they've witnessed. It doesn't really matter what the thing is. I mean, if it's trauma, it could be more possible for someone to get stuck in a certain kind of a place. But if someone is being aggressive or being intense or doing these things in play with some emotion and vigor and it's shifting, then we're not in post-traumatic play. Post-traumatic play is stuck in terms of not having an affect, not being connected to the emotional experience of something. If play is angry and intense and violent and there's full of terror, that's a success. That stuff got to live in this space. From a certain point of view, the more terror that's involved in play, I can at least give myself a little pat on the back after a session and say, well, you allowed that to exist inside of this space. So bravo for that. And as parents and caregivers and whoever else, I I caution and, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Um, it's one person's opinion. But I caution against immediately shutting down a child's play from a place of fear if you don't like what's happening inside of the play. If possible, being present, witnessing it, being there with it, not trying to throw in some value judgment about what's going on, trusting that... Yes, your child, regardless of the age, is aware of the difference between play and not play, of real life and make-believe and all of those sorts of things, and trusting that whatever's come up in them inside of the play is happening for a reason, and if no one's actually physically being harmed, like say in my play sessions, I still have limits around my physical safety. We're talking about themes when we're talking about torture and pain. We're talking about themes when we're talking about having to eat disgusting things or whatever else. We're not talking about like literal reality. And that children are aware of that. And understandably, right, if your child is playing with a friend and then they're playing something that doesn't feel right, that, shoot, if it's so uncomfortable that you're feeling full of judgment and fear that maybe it doesn't feel like you have any other choice but to feel compelled to shut the play down. But then at least inside of that, there can be a conversation about how it's whatever that looks like in terms of being emotionally honest with them, saying, like, gosh, like, you guys are playing this thing where this is happening and... It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. Nothing wrong with y'all playing that, necessarily. I'm not saying you're bad people for thinking those things, but I'm making the request that while you're together right now that you play something else. And maybe you say that from a space of, like, realizing that... Like, shoot, well, this friend is gonna go home and they're gonna talk to their parents and then gonna get a call from their dad or mom or whoever saying, like, I heard that my son or daughter was over at your house and they were playing so and so, and that I'm not okay with that. And you know, those those are real life things that we all have to be aware of. It is difficult to be a hundred percent accepting and non-judgmental of your child all the time, even when they're playing. That's why child therapy is such a neat and important place. But I think entering into some of those interactions with the intention of like, I do not want to shame you for this thing that you're playing. I do not want to say that it's bad. I don't want to have this thing submerged. I can I can name and witness the thing that you were just doing while also asking you to do something else in a way that doesn't cause you to just repress all of that and then not ever show it again when you have those thoughts and feelings and then just keep that down as well until that stuff builds up into something ugly and you know i think that's when people become vulnerable when they have all this darkness that they're feeling inside of them and it hasn't had a witness and then someone comes along and witnesses it and it can feel really accepting and really whole and then people can start to develop values or belong to different kinds of communities that are based around those thoughts and feelings being validated inside of them. And they're given an outlet in the terms of a uh, minority group or something like that. That was ranty. Thank you for taking the time to uh, listen to playtime. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It helps the show get more reach. Check out BarnettChildTherapy.com to take a look at the child-centered book series of which I get mad at on sharing is out. You can also contact me at barn at, childtherapy at gmail.com. Also got a bonus episode coming out in the month of December for Patreon members on expressive art therapy. So to learn more about that and to become a Patreon supporter of Playtime, you can click the support the show link or visit patreon.com/slash playtime podcast. And yeah, see you next time.